Over the years here at Grace Church, we have been blessed uh, in innumerable ways. We have had people who have uh, gifted the church financially, enabling us to not only reduce, but to pay off the debt on this building over the years. But in addition to that, we've had faithful, faithful people. Uh, most of them, or many of them, are here today. Some of them have gone on to be with the Lord. Some folks are still afraid to get out because of the coronavirus. And I want you to take note of those, and please uh, call them and let them know we missed them. Uh, and then we have been blessed with people who are talented. And I'm going to introduce you to, uh, to Keith Timothy Anderson. He's going to come and do some special music for us. Uh, I met him in Kroger years, <laughs> uh, somewhere last year. Uh, I was doing some shopping there, and he was too. And he had been watching our program by the Internet. And I found out that he is a gifted and talented musician. Uh, you can look him up on the Internet and off, uh, order his CDs, Keith Timothy Anderson. Uh, he writes music for other artists. And he's going to bless us now with uh, some worship, worshipful praise music. All right. All right. Good morning, everyone. We'll look over the top of this uh, music holder. Um, I am so glad to be able to sing for you this morning. And I wanted to do a song uh, that you all are familiar with the words of. Um, please turn to page 257. And uh, speaking of old hymns, this is another one of those staples that you probably have sung many, many times. Um, called, well, I guess you'll find out in a second, won't you? <laughs> Once you look it up. Um, I've also found that when I hear things in a different um, setting or maybe a different melody or something, the words seem to come alive to me in a way that they hadn't, hadn't before. And so I've, I've gone ahead and written a different melody to this standard song, um, and uh, I just pray that it will move you like it has moved me um, in singing it just with a different melody um, to give it a different, a different perspective. Um, and it truly is. Uh, the older I get, the more I realize how sweet it is uh, just to trust in the Lord and to trust His Word. I mean, we can trust His Word, and I'm so thankful that he's given us his word uh, to trust as well as himself. And of course, he is the word. I wanted to say as well um, that I invite you to sing as you learn the melody go ahead and sing um, on the verse or the chorus, but especially on the chorus, if you would help me there, please. And I replace the word in or the with you. So we're singing it directly to the Lord. Tis so sweet to trust you, Jesus, just to take you at your word. Just to rest upon your promise, just to know the saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus. 
Jesus, how I trust you and how I've proved you o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust you sweet to trust you Jesus just to trust your cleansing blood just in simple faith to plunge me neath the healing cleansing flood Jesus Jesus how I trust you and how I've proved you or and Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust you more. Yes, it's sweet to trust you, Jesus, just from sin and self to see. Just from you, Lord, simply taking life and rest and joy and peace. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust you and how I've proved you or and Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. trust you more I'm so glad learn to trust you precious Jesus Savior friend and I know that you are with me you will be with me to the end Jesus Jesus how I trust you and how I've proved you or and or Jesus grace to trust you. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust you and how I've proved you. Or and or, Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust you.
Thank you. That is music to worship by. That is music to worship by. I don't have anything against rhythm, but they have uh, just about rhythmed the worship out of worship in many cases for me. Would you stand together with us, please? We'll be reading two passages of Scripture today, Genesis 39 and Hebrews 11. And before we ask the Lord's blessings, I said Genesis 39 and Hebrews chapter 11. That's where we're going to settle down in Hebrews 11. Before we sing, however, I want to extend an invitation to all of you to come and feast with us after we feasted on the Word, we're going to feast on some really, really good food. Now, I happen to know for a fact that there's some corn on the cob in there, there's some uh, English peas, my favorites, there's some potato salad, there's some greens, there's some all kinds of chicken, there's some brisket. Uh, my friends, you go on to a restaurant and pay your $35, $45 and get food that's half, half is good. Or you can come in here and eat. Come in here. We have plenty of food, plenty of food, plenty of bread, plenty of drink, and we'd love to have you. You can eat what you want. You can leave when you need to. There's no time limit on it. All right, let's ask the Lord's blessings on our study. Father, I stretch my hand to Thee. No other help I know. If I withdraw myself from thee away, shall I go away, shall I go. The song that Keith did was very appropriate for our study today. I did not know what he was going to do, and he did not know what I'm going to teach. But this is part two of the secret of prospering while suffering. Genesis chapter 39, verse 20, And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison, and whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him, and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. 
May the Lord add his blessings on the reading of his word and let God's people say praise the Lord. And you may be seated and you could go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Now we learned from our last study that the secret of the life of Joseph and every one of the heroes listed in the Bible is living by faith. Abraham believed God, and he lived accordingly. How do we know? How do we know that Abraham believed God? He left his home country, he left his family, and he headed for the land that the Lord promised him. And when the Lord said, count the stars if you can number them, so shall thy seed be. He believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness, Genesis 15 and verse 6. And when the Lord said, I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Abraham believed God, and we know he did because he immediately built an altar of worship and thanksgiving according to Genesis chapter 13 and verse 18. Now, to better understand Joseph's faith, and from him, our own faith, let's investigate the faith of Joseph's great-grandfather a little. And this we will do from basically Hebrews chapter 11. The faith that Abraham had was a God-given faith. Abraham's father, we are told in the book of Judges, was an idol maker. He was a polytheistic worshiper. That is, he believed in many gods. He lived in a land of heathenism. But Abraham came to know the one true living God. The only way that he could do that was not that he could figure it out, but that God revealed himself to Abraham. And the fact that Abraham believed God is found in the book of Genesis, found in the book of Romans, found in the book of Galatians, and also in the book of James, that Abraham believed God. He was one who believed God, and we know he believed God because he lived accordingly. Now, what does that mean? He lived accordingly. First, it means he had an obedient mindset. His desire was to reverently serve the Lord. But how does one serve the Lord? Abraham didn't have a church to go to. He didn't have a choir to lead. He didn't have some place that he could go and worship. How does one serve the Lord? How do we serve the Lord. The first thing to consider in answering this question, how does one serve the Lord, is to ask another question. What does the Lord need that Abraham or that we have? What does the Lord need that Abraham or that we have? The answer, nothing. The Lord needs nothing 
and we have nothing that we can give him. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, which had all kinds of problems, they were having a problem with pride, and he wrote to them and he said, who made you to differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did receive it, how can you boast? How can you glory as if you had not received it? Whatever you have, my friends, God gave it to you. Whatever I have, God gave it to me. Everything we have, he has given us. Now, if we give back to him what he has given us, we have given him nothing. When I give a little of my money to the Lord's cause or a little of my time, I'm only giving back what he has given me. And here's the lesson for us. This is a very important lesson along the way to where we're going. When we receive something, when we receive anything, regardless of how it comes to us, for example, from another person, we should always thank the Lord for it, for it is he who is giving it to us through another. A man, John says this, John 3.27, a man can receive nothing except he be given from heaven. John chapter 3, verse 27. The English Standard Translation has it like this. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. So what does this mean? It means that all of the things we have received since we have been in this world has been given to us from heaven. It was God who gave us life. It is God who has given us these clothes. It is God who has given us his house. You are driving God's car when he's loaned to you. How nice of you to use your things for the Lord. It all came from him. All of the things we have received since we have been in this world came from heaven. Whether it came through another, whether we worked for it, whether we won it, whether we inherited it, it was given to us from heaven. And so I ask, what does the Lord need that Abraham had? What does the Lord need that we have? The answer is nothing. What do we have that has not been given to us by the Lord? The answer is nothing. The Lord needs nothing, and we have nothing that we can give him. The Lord said to Israel, I will take no bullock out of your house. I will take no goats out of your fold. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountain, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine, and the fullness thereof. What does God need? He has no 
needs. He is satisfied in himself. What can we do for God? And here's the part two to that question. All that Abraham could do and all that you and I can do is believe him. We can believe him unto our salvation and we can believe him as we walk through this world. This is Abrahamic faith. This is saving faith. This is the faith of Isaac, Abraham's son, and Jacob, Abraham's grandson, and Joseph, Abraham's great-grandson. And this is the faith of the Son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is also called in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the son of Abraham. Now get this. This is what pleases the Lord. We can give him nothing. He needs nothing, but it pleases him when we believe him. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. Look at verse 6 of Hebrews chapter 11. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Without faith, it's not difficult, it's not hard, it is impossible to please him. Abrahamic faith is a faith that believes God all the days of one's life. We believe God when he promises to forgive us of our sins. Here's what the scripture says. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him. He promises to those who believe him I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities. I will remember no more. That's right here in the book of Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, and Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 17. And he's quoting one of the Old Testament passages. My friends, listen, as we walk through this world, we believe him. We believed him for salvation and we believe him as we walk through this world. And when he promises, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. We believe him. This rule, this revelation applies to every believer. Now, did Abraham have perfect faith? Did Abraham ever doubt? Well, lest we could start with him saying that Sarah was his sister because he was afraid that the men of the area he was going into, which he was not supposed to have gone into, he was not supposed to have gone into Egypt, and he went down to Egypt because they were having a little famine where he was. And then when he got there, he said, Now, Sarah, do me a favor. Any of these men look at you in the wrong way and want to pull you into their harem, you tell them that I'm your sister, you're my sister, because they'll kill me to get to you. So no, he did not have perfect faith. But there are two things that we need to know. Abraham 
did not continuously, perpetually live in unbelief, did he? He's like I told you about the Mississippi River. The Mississippi River goes steadily south, but sometimes it goes back. Sometimes it goes over this way. Sometimes it goes over this way, but it's moving steadily south. And so is the bent of every believer. We may falter, we may fall, we may wander, we may stumble. After all, Christ spoke of some lost sheep. He said, those sheep belong to me, but they're lost. And so therefore, I say that Abraham was a believer all of the days of his life, though he did not have perfect faith. But here's the issue. The one in whom he believed was perfect. And it was the one in whom he believed who blessed him, who saved him. This is taught to us in Romans chapter 3, right around verse 25. He tells us right there very plainly that we do not save ourselves by our faith, but the one in whom we believe, he's the one who does the saving. He's the one who does the blessing. But he does it through faith. Again, Hebrews eleven six informs us, without faith, it is impossible. I'm going to open this passage up for you a little bit now. It's impossible to please him. He that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So let's dig a little deeper into this passage. First, he says, it's impossible to please the Lord without faith. Now, this is what we call an axiomatic truth. You know what an axiomatic truth is? It means it's a self-evident truth. It means it is an unquestionable truth. When our forefathers drew up the Constitution, they said we hold these truths to be Self-evident that all men are created by their creator with certain inalienable rights, and among these a life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Certain inalienable, certain self-evident truths, truths that can't be taken away, truths that can't be diminished, truths that can't be uh, wiped out by time and by the actions of men. So here's an axiomatic, a self-evident, an unquestionable truth. It is impossible to please the Lord without faith. Now listen, this is important. When he says it is impossible to please, he uses a tense in the Greek that we call the aorist tense. A-O-R-I-S-T tense. He uses to please in the aorist tense. And here's the idea. It is impossible to please him at all and at any time apart from faith. Whether that is before salvation or whether that is after salvation. And I'll go further to say this. It is impossible to have any spiritual victory or any spiritual prosperity without faith. Now get this, Joseph was not trying to be rich. What he was trying to do was to serve the Lord, but the Lord made him rich. Joseph was not striving for power. He was striving to please the Lord, but the Lord gave him power. Now here's the lesson for us here. It is our duty, it is our calling, 
to serve the Lord. If we find our purpose in serving Him, we will learn to be content with whatever He gives us or whatever He does not give us. We are taught by the Lord, are we not, to say, Thine is the kingdom, thine is the power. Thine is the glory. Churches get in trouble when they begin to try to get some of the glory that belongs only to the Lord. We're not going to bring people up here and brag on you because you've attended Sunday school for a hundred straight days. We're not going to give you a star and a report card. We're not going to give you something because you visited Mrs. Smith last week. These are things that we ought to do. We don't do these in order to be recognized by men. We don't do these to gain some points with God. No, what we want to do is learn to trust him, just as Keith sang to us. Learn to prove him o'er and o'er. Oh, how I love to prove him o'er and o'er. He says in the book of Malachi, Come and prove me now, saith the Lord, if I will not pour out blessings upon you that you can't receive. Over my lifetime, I have proved the Lord o'er and o'er. I have seen him make a way out of no way. I have seen him bring back things and people from impossible places to a place where they love the Lord and serve the Lord. The business of Joseph, this is important, the business of Joseph was serving the Lord. And that's your business and that's my business. You might do something to earn a living, but your business is serving the Lord. That's your business. And that was the business of Joseph. His business was not seeking power and riches. But the Lord, to fulfill his divine and sovereign purpose, gave him power and gave him riches. He did the same thing with Solomon. Solomon said, I want wisdom to govern your people. And the Lord said, because you haven't asked for wisdom or, or riches, because you haven't asked for power, because you haven't asked for the heads of your enemies on a platter, I'm going to give you that, what you've asked for, wisdom, and I'm going to give you all the things you didn't ask for. Our business is serving the Lord. Our business is believing Him. Our business is learning to trust Him and proving Him or and or. Now, Joseph was content when he lived in a tent. Before he ever got into Egypt, he was content. He was serving his father, he was serving his brothers, and then he was stolen away and sold as a slave by his envious brothers, and he was, now we see him here in prison. You say, would he like to be out of prison? Of course he would. He's going to tell this man later, hey, remember me, because I've been put here unjustly. But there was a contentment in Joseph's heart, in his spirit, in his soul, in his mind, because he realized that he was on time, right on schedule, because he was trusting the Lord. He was walking with the Lord, and the Lord would move him along as he wanted to.
Joseph did not believe the Lord only until he obtained riches and power. He believed the Lord all the days of his life, and he died in faith, still believing the Lord. And so I ask you, shall I, being made a son of Abraham by the grace of God, through faith, shall I live as though I am not a son of God? Listen to the Bible. You need to write this down and remember this passage. It's Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. Even as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness, know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. Now, if I am a child of God through faith, I am a child of Abraham. If I am kin to Abraham spiritually, you remember Jesus made a distinction to the Jews in John chapter 8 when he said, I know you're Abraham's sperma. I know you're Abraham's offspring physically, but you're not Abraham's technon. You're not Abraham's children. You're not his spiritual children. So if I'm kin to Abraham spiritually, If I'm kin to him spiritually, then I'll have his faith. I'll have Abrahamic faith, which only is saving faith. I will believe the Lord for salvation. I will believe the Lord in life, and I will believe him in death. I cannot be his child unless I believe him. I cannot expect blessings after I am his child, unless I believe him. And thirdly, it is impossible to serve the Lord without faith. It is impossible to please him without faith. Notice again from Hebrews 11 and verse 6. Every believer comes to God. He that comes to God must believe that he is. Every believer comes to God. We come through faith in Christ, standing upon the promise of his word. Joseph believed God, and the promise that Joseph believed in time became a human being, a person. We call him Jesus, the Messiah, the fulfillment of all the promises of God. So every believer comes to God. Number two, everyone who comes to God believes that he is. And number three, everyone who comes to God in faith believes that he is a rewarder of some sort. Let me explain. The one who comes to God believes two things. He believes that he is, and secondly, he believes that he rewards those who diligently seek him. Now, let me give you another little lesson from the Greek language. The first is here in Hebrews 11, verse 6. He is that cometh to God must believe that he is. He that cometh to God must believe that he is. That is the translation of a Corne Greek term, esti, which speaks of existence. But then he says, and that he is a rewarder. That second is 
uh, as he will over water, comes from a different Greek word, genomai. The idea is not merely that God exists as a rewarder, but that he will prove himself to be the rewarder of the person who, get this now, diligently seeks him. Let's not leave that little word out. He is a water of rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now here's the idea. The idea behind this is what we call importunity. You can read about it in Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 10, and Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. The Lord's disciples said to him one day, Lord, teach us to pray, as John the Baptist taught his disciples. And the Lord responded in this way. First of all, he taught them what is commonly called the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. They said, teach us to pray. First thing he said was, all right, I'm going to give you this little model prayer. It shouldn't be called the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is in John chapter 17. But that is a model prayer. Then he illustrates this prayer with a story, verses 5 through 10. He says there was a man who was asleep, one night at midnight, and another friend of his called on him at midnight for three loaves of bread. And he said, when the man said, who in the world is out there at midnight? He said, this fellow said, I have had a friend visit me, and I don't have anything to feed him. Would you loan me three loaves of bread? And the response that Jesus said the man gave was this, Do not trouble me. It is midnight. The doors are all shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give you anything. Then Jesus added these words, I tell you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, Yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many loaves as he needs. There are several lessons here, but here's one that I want to impress you. Suppose you've been praying about something. Delay does not mean denial. Just because there's a delay, it doesn't mean God has denied you. Everyone, Jesus went on to say, right after this, after he tells this story about the importunity, he went on to say, everyone that asks will receive, and he that seeks shall find, and to him that knocks it shall be opened. Now, what does that mean? It means what the word diligently in Hebrews eleven six means diligently seek him. We must come in faith, believing that he is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. That is, that he will eventually reward them in his own wise time and when it is for their greatest good. We are told in Proverbs 8, 17, I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. 
Now, the word diligently is the word exitio, and it means to seek out. It means to search out. It means to scrutinize. It means to beg. It means to crave. And it's in a present tense, active mood, which means you keep on. You keep on keeping on. I have sought the Lord. I am seeking the Lord. I shall seek the Lord. I have believed the Lord. I am believing the Lord. I will believe the Lord. I have called on the Lord. I am calling on the Lord. I will continue to call on the Lord. That's what diligently means. It doesn't mean that we can use God for an errand boy. You just claim this, brother, and you'll get it. No, you won't. You'll only get it when he gives it to you, and he'll give it to you when he's ready to give it to you, and he'll give it to you when it'll be the better blessing for you, the greatest blessing and the greatest glory to his name. We must not be like the fellow who, when he read that faith will remove mountains, prayed for the mountain outside of his apartment to be removed and cast into the sea. And then he got up from his chair and he looked outside and he said, just as I thought, is still there. You see, the word of God, the promises of God and God himself cannot be used for our own advantage and advancement. My friends... We, whatever we think we're asking for, we don't need it if we can do without it. As for me, I can face everything with Christ. But I cannot face life, I cannot face death, I cannot face eternity without Christ. I must have him to stand before the Father. And I must have him to stand before men. And I must have him to stand before death and eternity. Now let's look in Hebrews 11 once again. And let's move down to verse 8. Move down to verse 8. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing where he, was, where he went. By faith, he sojourned or lived as a stranger in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which has foundations, whose builder and whose maker is God." Now, you will note, first of all, in verse 8, that Abraham was called. I want you to notice that. He was called. Every believer is called to faith. Every believer is called to faith. I'll show you that again in just a moment. You will note that Abraham's faith expressed itself through obedience. It says... Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place when she should afterward receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out. He didn't just say, okay, I believe you, God, but I got a few things here I've got to do. I've got a few little errands and a few little things I've got to do here. I've got some other things that are, uh, are requiring my attention, but I believe you, but I'll take care of it here. 
No, sir. It said he went out, he obeyed, and he went out. So you'll notice that Abraham's faith expressed itself through obedience. He went out. That means he believed God. You will notice that Abraham lived by faith. He lived by faith because it says after he went out, it said he went out not knowing where he was going. And then it says, and by faith he sojourned, he lived as a stranger, in the land that was promised to him, the land of promise. Now let me ask you a question. You know where you're going? You say, well, yes, I'm going to heaven. Well, where's heaven? Where is heaven? I read about a man who said he was going on a trip through some bad, bad wilderness. And he asked the guide, he said, where's the path? And the guide said, I am the path. I am the path. Jesus said, I am the way. They said, where are you going? We don't know where you're going. We don't know how to get there. He said, I'm the way. I'm the truth. And I'm the life. No man comes to the Father. No man goes to heaven. No man can be pleasing to God except through me. You will note that Abraham, verse 9, lived in this world as a stranger. He lived in this world as a stranger. That's a good lesson for us. Don't get too comfortable here because you're going to be leaving. You're going to be leaving. We need to learn that lesson so we can live here as strangers, not get too attached here. You will note that Abraham lived in the fifth place, that Abraham lived in a temporary living place, a tabernacle. It says he dwelt in tabernacles just as Isaac and Jacob did in verse 9. That term translated tabernacle means temporary dwelling place. You live in a temporary dwelling place. It's called your body. You are a spirit. You are a soul. You are a person living in a temporary dwelling place. When Abraham folded up that tent to move somewhere else, he was still alive. And when your tent and mine is folded up and put in the ground, you'll still be alive somewhere. That's a good lesson to learn. We're not going anywhere. Our bodies, we might leave that. This temporary dwelling place will wear out one of these days, but you will still be you will still exist. You will notice also in the sixth place that all those who share the hope of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob are named, and I'll add Joseph, then I'll add you, and I'll add me if you are a believer, that all those who share the hope of Abraham are as They are of the same mind as Abraham. And what is that? It's verse 10. Looking for a city that has foundations, whose builder and whose maker is God. We're looking for a city. 
We're not looking for anything here. Everything here is going to be destroyed or remade. There are arguments among eschatological students about whether this earth is going to be renovated and made into the new earth. It doesn't matter to me whether I live here or whether I live in some new galaxy somewhere else. I don't care. That misses the issue for me. The issue for me is like Martin Luther said. Martin Luther said, if I died and I went to hell and Christ was in hell, he said hell would be heaven for me. And what is heaven without Christ? Streets of gold? What are the streets of gold for? To walk on. That's all. All of those things symbolize and point to the magnificent, indescribable beauty of our Lord Jesus Christ. All of those things point to him. I don't know why people don't read the title of the book of Revelation. It says it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It reveals him. Everything in the book reveals him. Everything points to him. Everything is emblematic of him. Everything is a figure of him. It all comes back to him. And if I have him, I have everything. What do I need that's outside of him? So just as Abraham, all who love God are called... All who love God learn to trust Him in all things, and they are called on purpose. Isn't that one of our favorite verses, Romans 8, 28? We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Everywhere Joseph went, <laughs> blessings followed. <laughs> like his father Jacob, his grandfather Isaac, and his great-grandfather Abraham, Joseph was a true and bona fide believer. Joseph believed God regardless of the circumstances. From being sold by his brothers to being sold a second time by the Ishmaelites to the temptation of an illicit affair with his master's wife, Joseph was sustained by faith in his God and in his Savior. And if you were not with us in our last study and you're interested, I encourage you to, to order that study. There is no cost. It's paid for by the gifts and tithes of people who give to this work here. But among other things we learned in our last study was that Joseph's faith was a gift of God. It was not of works. He wasn't born a believer. That he came to trust the Lord by grace. He believed the word of God as it came to him through his father, his grandfather, and his great-grandfather. We know he was a believer because he heard the Lord. He didn't simply know what the Lord said. He received it with a desire to comply, to obey with what he heard. He received it, and he was motified, uh, motivated, I should say, to actively stand upon what was promised. He, as I taught you last week, he shamad the word of God. He heard it. He had ears to hear. And having ears to hear, he had a heart 
to receive what he had heard and a desire to yield in faith to it. My friends, living by faith is merely salvation by grace through faith extended throughout one's life. I find it impossible to think, much less believe, that a lost sinner can hear from God and remain unchanged. I find that impossible. The Lord Jesus said in John chapter 8 and verse 47, He that is of God heareth God's words. Again, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And so we see that saving faith believes God, and faith that believes God hears God, and faith that hears God expresses itself in an obedience to obey what he hears. Indeed, without faith, it is impossible to please him, whether that is the faith of salvation or the faith of service. Joseph heard from the Lord, and he believed in the Lord from whom he heard. And that was the secret and of his success, and that was the secret of his advancement from the pit in Dothan to the pinnacle of power in Egypt. Listen to me. If you don't get anything else, get this. If we believe God, we please him. If we believe him, we will come to him. And if we come to him, we will seek him all the days of our lives. If we are knocked down, we'll get up. If we wander off, we'll come back. I am persuaded, said the apostle, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. May the Lord add his blessings on his word. Let's stand together. Amen. Praise the Lord. If you come to the Lord Jesus, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, for your salvation, that makes you a believer. We're not asking you to come forward. We're not asking you to raise your hand. We're not asking you to sign a card. We're not asking you to repeat a prayer after me. That's not found in the Bible. Jesus never said, I want you to repeat a prayer after me. Neither did his disciples. You can, in the recesses of your own soul, talk to the Lord and tell him that you believe on his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I personally believe that if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you should confess that. My personal opinion is that the way you confess that is through baptism, But if you're of a different opinion, that's between you and the Lord. But I do believe that you must believe a believer. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. 
And again, it is not your faith that saves you. It is the one in whom you believe who saves you. It is through faith that he saves you, but he does the saving. When he died on the cross, he said, it is finished. And it was finished when he died. There's nothing to add to it. All we can do is do what I said. We have nothing he wants. We have nothing he needs. But we can believe on him. My son, give me thine heart. Just another way of saying, believe me. Believe me. Trust me. All right, let's sing our song. Under the blood of Jesus, safe in the shepherd's fold. Under the blood of Jesus, safe while the angels roll. I'm safe though the world may crumble. Thank God I'm safe, though the stars grow dim. Under the blood of Jesus, I am secure in Him. I'm going to dismiss us with a word of prayer. I'm going to invite you to come back and eat with us. You can eat all you want. There's a lot of great food back there. And you can sit where you want. We all have a tendency to sit with family and friends and so on, and that's fine. We're not, it's not back here counting heads. I don't have anybody to see who's present and who's not. If you want to miss all that good food, that's on you. <laughs> and it's great food. It really is. We thank the Lord for his bountiful blessings to us here in this nation and especially here in this church. Let us pray. Our Father, we call upon you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for your word. We pray that you will lodge it in our hearts and in our spirit as with a nail that it shall be there in a sure place. We shall not be able to escape from its blessings, to flee from all of its great grace and mercy given to us through our Lord Jesus Christ. We want to thank you, Lord, for this building We want to thank you for all the facilities we enjoyed. You have given it to us. We want to thank you for our health, our hope. We want to thank you for our happiness. We want to thank you for all the times you've healed us, all of our healings when we've gotten healed and you've brought us back. And Father, we want to thank you for the food that has been prepared by all the families who've brought this food. We ask you to bless our bodies, to nourish our bodies as we partake of it. And bless our fellowship together. We ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for his sake. Amen. And you're dismissed.